How to Tell Stories to Children is a bi-weekly podcast exploring the science and methodology of storytelling. I am Silke Rose West. And I am Joseph Saracy. We are the authors of How to Tell Stories to Children. Our goal is to foster diverse storytelling by helping individuals like you awaken to the storyteller within. This is the story of Amalgamesh. Amalgamesh was a wizard, a mid-level wizard, who lived long ago. He knew a lot of tricks and spells. He could make things come alive, like brooms and dustpans could sweep up the floor. He could make a fire arise in the hearth. And one of his tricks that he was well known for was that he could make a chicken just pop up out of thin air. It was really kind of funny, and a lot of the villagers would laugh when that would happen, and the chicken would scratch around a little bit and move on. And it was a pretty neat trick. Amalgamesh knew a lot of neat tricks. But he wanted to be a powerful wizard. He wanted to know some sorcery that would make him a great wizard who could truly serve the king and queen of the land. And he knew in order to be a powerful wizard, he needed a crystal ball. You've probably heard that about wizards. They often have a beautiful, round, polished crystal ball. And in it, they can see into the future. They can see other events. They know what's going on. And therefore, they know exactly the spell needed for that moment. But Amalgamesh didn't have a crystal ball, and he wasn't entirely sure how to get one. One day he was out walking in the mountains, looking for some of the things that magicians need for their spells, things like toads, bats, different herbs, mushrooms, crooked old sticks. And as he was walking, he stumbled upon some rocks. And within the rocks were some very beautiful crystals, some of which were very large. And now if you've ever come across crystals in the rocks, they're often very pointy and angular. And that's what these were like. They stuck out in different places. But some of them were very clear, very pure. And so Amalgamesh thought to himself, if I search here, I might find a crystal big enough that I could make into a crystal ball. And so he looked for a long time. And indeed, he did find this rock. It was huge. It weighed about 50 pounds. And half of it was covered in this grayish blue stone with all these pocks and different little bumps and twists. And the other half was this very big, very pure, nearly invisible, nearly translucent crystal. And he picked it up with his hands. Ooh, it was heavy. And he held it in his hands and he wiped the crystal. And even that made the crystal shine and a little bit more clear. And he thought, I'll take this home. And if I work on it, I can make this into my 
crystal ball. So he took it back. He lugged it to his home in the village. And it took a long time. It was a very, very heavy rock. And he set it down on the table. And wizards always have candles and things like that. So by this point, it was dark at night. And he had candles in his house. And the candles reflected in that crystal. And it looked so beautiful. He could see all the different little candle flames flickering in it. And he thought, this is it. This is it. If I can make this into a crystal ball, I will be a very powerful and successful wizard. And that night he slept really well. And in the morning he woke up. And when he woke up, he looked at the crystal on the table and the sun was coming in his one window. And that shaft of sunlight hit the crystal and sparkled. And again, he thought to himself, yes, I am going to be a great wizard. In fact, he started to think that maybe this crystal had found him. Not that he had found the crystal, but the crystal had found him. And he started to get excited. And he thought to himself, how am I going to turn this into a crystal ball? Because, you know, the crystal was kind of more like a big not a square, but it had all these angles and sharp bits and it had all this stone on it and he had to get the stone off. How was he going to turn it into a perfect crystal ball? And he thought to himself, oh, I'm going to go to the stonesmith because he's the one that knows how to work with stones. And so he did. He went and knocked on the stonesmith's door. And when the stonesmith came to the door, he said, ah, my friend, you can help me. And now the stonesmith looked at the magician and he wondered, how am I going to help the magician? You know, I'm just a simple guy. But the magician said, I need your help with this stone. I found a perfect crystal up in the mountains. Or it found me. And I need to turn it into a crystal ball. But how do I do that? I don't, I don't know how to work with the, the stone and the crystal. And the stonesmith realized, oh, okay. Yeah, no, I do know how to do that. And he went back into his shop and he came out with a little bag. And in the bag was some coarse stone. He said, this stone is very hard. He said, if you take this stone and you're, you're going to have to work it and you're going to slowly rub away the edges of that stone and you're going to find that it's going to smooth itself out. Slowly, you'll wear off the outer rock. Slowly, you'll wear off the edges of the crystal and you'll be able to shape it into a ball. And the magician said, thank you. Is there anything that I can do for you? And the stonesmith said, well, you know, my family, we're simple people. Really, we're just kind of hungry. If you have anything to share, we'd be grateful. And the magician thought to himself, he didn't actually have a lot of food. He didn't eat a lot. He spent most of his time thinking and working on spells, but he said, you know, I had a little trick. And just like that, poof, there was a chicken scratching on the ground. And the stonesmith looked down and he laughed. But he said, thank you. Actually, that would help. If I had some chickens, I could eat some eggs. I might even cook a chicken in the pot later this week. 
So the magician smiled in the stonesmith's mouth, and they shook hands and went their separate ways. Then the magician went up to his house, and he brought that bag of coarse stone, and he set it on the table next to his crystal, and he began to work. He took that stone from the stonesmith's bag and began to rub that crystal. And slowly, little bits came off. It's like rubbing it with sandpaper. And it took a long time. And by the end of the day, he was tired and his hands were rough and kind of sore. But when he looked at it, he could see that he had taken off at least the sharpest angles. He had taken off some of the old gray blue stone and the crystal itself was a little bit more round. And so he smiled and when he lit his candles at night, he could see them reflected in the crystal and he thought, yes. And he went to bed and he slept well. And the next morning he got up again and he continued to work that crystal. Now it takes a long, long time to work with a piece of stone like that. And so every day for days, he would get up and slowly shape that stone. After a few weeks, he had gotten all of the gray-blue stone off, and the crystal had taken on a round shape, but it was more like maybe an egg or mm, a roundish, bubbly thing, but it wasn't exactly a ball. And so he went back to the stone smith, and he knocked on the door, and he said, Hey, I've been doing just what you said, and I've got this crystal nearly shaped, but it's not quite perfectly round, and I'm not exactly sure what to do. And the stonesmith said, oh, okay, yeah, well, you've worked it for a good long time now. Here, hold on. And he went back into his shop, and he came out with a second bag, and he said, this is a finer stone. It too is very hard. But now you're going to need to polish that stone with this material. And when you do, you're going to see that you're going to smooth it even better. So the magician said, thank you. And he went, snapped his fingers and there was a chicken. And the stonesmith smiled and the magician smiled and they went back to their homes. The magician got back to his house and he set the second bag of stone on the table and he began to work that crystal ball. And it was true. The stonesmith was right. It took on a more refined shape just on that very first day and on the next day. And still, it took a long time. For several weeks, he worked with that finer stone. And by the end, he had a nearly perfect round crystal ball. And he thought, I'm going to be a great wizard. But when he looked at the crystal ball, whether at night by candlelight or whether in the light of the sun in the morning, it was as if he was looking at, have you ever gone to the beach and found an old piece of glass? It's very smooth. It can be very beautiful, but it looks frosted, right? That's what this crystal looked like. To be a powerful wizard, he would need to be able to see in to the crystal, it would need to be smooth, perfectly polished on the outside so that he could see all the way through. 
And so he went back to the stonesmith and he knocked on the door and he told the stonesmith, I've done what you said and I have made my crystal ball. But the problem is, is that I can't see into it. It's frosted on the outside and I need it to be clear. And the stonesmith said, oh yeah, well, hold on just a second. And he went back into his shop and he came out with a third bag. And now when he opened that and the magician looked inside, there was the finest sand inside the little bag. It's almost like dust. And the stonesmith said, you take this, you're going to work it just like you have been. But now with this fine sand, you're going to polish the ball. And when you're done, you're going to get a very smooth surface. So the magician took the bag, said, thank you. It said, is there anything I can do? And this time the stonesmith said, you know, those two chickens that you gave us have been laying eggs every day, sometimes more than one. And so my family's been eating and my kids wake up in the morning and they feed the chickens. It's been really wonderful. So thank you. You've, you've helped us out. And the magician said, okay, well, thank you, friend. And they shook hands and they parted their ways. The magician went home and the magician got home and began to work that crystal ball again, thinking to himself, I am going to be a great magician. And so he polished and polished and polished that crystal. And after a few days, it began to shine. And the surface began to be very smooth, very clear, and he could see through it, inside it. And at nights, he would put a candle next to it. And it was so beautiful. And he could see into parts of it, but still, he needed to work it. And so day after day, he would polish it and polish it. And finally, he had been working it long enough. And it was good, but it still wasn't perfectly smooth on the outside. And so he went back to the stonesmith. He knocked on the door and the stonesmith came out. And Amalgamesh said, you've helped me so much. My crystal ball is nearly perfect, but it's still not quite perfectly smooth on the outside. And the stonesmith said, okay, you've reached the final stage. Now you need to polish it just with your hands using no grit at all. Slowly, just with your hands, you're going to smooth out those last rough edges and you will have a perfectly smooth round ball. And the magician smiled at the stonesmith and he almost snapped his fingers, but the stonesmith looked at him and said, oh no, thank you, friend. It turns out that the two chickens that you gave us, one was a rooster and one was a hen. And the hen has been laying on those eggs and she has hatched seven little chicks. And we've been watching them grow up. And the kids like running around with them. And we know that in a few months, we're going to have nine full grown chickens. You've done enough for us. Thank you. And the magician smiled, said, okay, and went back home. And that night he began working that stone just with his hands. And he could feel it. It was so smooth in his hands. And yet, over time, just with his fingers, just with his fingerprints, slowly, that crystal began getting smoother and smoother and smoother. And he could see deeply inside it now. And after 
several weeks, he felt like he had maybe now a perfect ball, perfectly clear. And so he set it on his table and he lit a candle. And when he looked inside, guess what he saw? There was a flaw. There was a crack. There was a line. There was a something inside the crystal. And Amalgamesh sat down and he felt so disappointed. He had spent months now slowly refining and creating that perfect crystal ball. And he knew that's what he needed to become the best magician that he could be. And now that he could see into it, he saw the flaw in it. And he thought, I'll never be a great wizard. And he was angry. And he was sad. And he didn't know what to do. And so that night he decided he took the crystal ball up into the mountains near where he had found it. And there was a cave nearby. And sometimes when he needed to make some great magic, he would go into the mountains like that. And that night there was a tremendous storm. Thunderstorm came rolling in and it began to rain. And there were powerful bolts of lightning crashing and booming all around. And the wizard went into the cave and he set that crystal ball on a stone in the center and he began to work his magic. And his magic was to make the light come out of the crystal. And so he poured his intention, his magic power into that crystal ball, hoping that in doing that, he would find the answer, his way forward, what to do. And as he was doing that outside, the storm was raging. And finally, this crash of lightning came nearby. And at the front of the cave, Amalgamesh could see there was a young child. What are you doing here? Amalgamesh said, because he was trying to do his work. And the child said, I'm cold. And I, I saw you come into the cave and I, I just wanted to know if, if I could come in here too and maybe, maybe I could help you. Um, is there something that I could do? And Amalgamesh looked kind of angry. But he had a little bit of compassion in his heart. And so he said, okay, come on in. Why don't you build a fire near the front of the cave? And the child thought, okay, because she wanted to feel useful. So the child went and found some sticks, dry sticks in the cave, and a little bit of kindling, and made the fire. And when the fire came, it warmed up the cave, and the child got warm. And the wizard got warm and still the storm was raging outside. Is there anything else I can do? The child asked. No. Now you must leave me alone, said Amalgamesh. And he began to sit there with his crystal stone, trying to bring it into life. And as the child sat there, Amalgamesh was working with the stone. And the thunder raged outside. 
Maybe there's something I could do, the child said. And Amalgamesh got so angry that he picked up the crystal ball and threw it on the ground and smashed it. He was angry at the child. And he said, get out of here. Can't you see that I'm working? Quit distracting me. And the child felt really sad. You could see it in her eyes. And she turned and she ran into the rain. And Amalgamesh sat there and he felt awful. The fire was dying down. He was getting cold. He had used all so much of his magic energy. And now he was sitting in this cave. It was getting dark. And he had just smashed his crystal ball that he had been working on forever. And he was angry at the child for interrupting him. And he was angry at the crystal ball for not being perfect. And he was angry at himself for not knowing how to make that perfect crystal ball. And he sat down on the cold ground as the storm raged outside. <laughs> Flashes of lightning. And he fell asleep. And in his dream, he had three beautiful crystal balls. One was absolutely clear. One was rose-colored, and one had this slight tint of green. And not only did he have them, he was able to hold them, and they moved as if he was juggling them in the air. And yet he was juggling them without even touching them, catching them in his hands. And before him, he watched this clear crystal ball. He watched this rose-colored crystal ball and this green crystal ball, all beautifully clear without any flaws, weaving, juggling before him. And in his dream, he had a very sweet feeling. And finally, he woke up. And when he woke up, he looked out. And he realized he was still in the cave and it was dark, but at the entrance of the cave, it was light. The sun was out and it had stopped raining and the storm had moved on. And Amalgamesh looked at his smashed crystal in the cave. And he looked at the fire that the child had kindled in the night, now gone out. And he walked outside into the sun. And he didn't yet know it, but he had become a great magician. He walked out into the forest and toward the village, and he thought to himself, I do know a lot of different spells. And actually, there are things that I can do to help the people in this village. And so he began to call out, Child, child, I don't, I never knew your name. I didn't get your name, but where are you? And as he walked, he kept calling out, child, child, are you okay? And he got almost all the way back to his home in the village. And out behind a tree came this little girl. Child, he said, are you okay? You made it through the night. You must be hungry. And she looked up at him. And she saw the change that had happened. And she smiled. And Amalgamesh kneeled down and he said, where are your parents? 
Where is your family? And the little girl looked at him, and she grew sad. She said, my parents, my parents have died, and I've been out here in the forest, and I'm very hungry, and I am cold, and I, I don't know what to do. And Amalgamesh smiled and looked at the little girl, and in his heart, he felt selfish. And he took her hand, and his hand was warm, and it felt good to hold his hand. And he said, come with me. I have some food at home. And he walked to his home in the village. And when he opened the door, the child looked inside. And Amalgamesh had all these incredible, beautiful things made out of wood, made out of stone, old, old books and manuscripts with intricate lettering and drawings for spells. It was beautiful. It was interesting. Maybe I could help you a little bit, said the child. And Amalgamesh looked at her, and he knew that she already had. And he said, yes, come on in. Why don't you make a fire in the hearth while I get some food together? And she put some wood and kindling there. And she looked around and she said, do you have any matches? How will I make the fire? And he said, hold out your hand. And she held out her hand to the fire. And Amalgamesh stood behind her and held out his hand. And she felt the warmth from Amalgamesh flow through her hand, through her palm, into that fire. And it kindled and lit right up. And the whole room became brighter. And they sat down and they ate some food together. And Amalgamesh smiled and she smiled. And he said, you stay with me. You can help keep my house clean. And I'll teach you things. Maybe you'll teach me things. And she smiled. And he smiled. And that afternoon, Amalgamesh went out with a child. And he went through the village. And he saw the stonesmith. And he saw the baker. And even the king and queen were coming by. And the people came out to him. And they said, Amalgamesh, you're back. Where did you go? There was a tremendous storm last night. Did you see it? And Amalgamesh smiled. I did see it. And the stonesmith asked, Well, are you a great magician now? Have you finally made your crystal ball? And Amalgamesh smiled. And again, he took the hand of the little child next to him. And he said, Hold out your hand. And so she did. And once again, she could feel the warmth of Amalgamesh flowing through her, and poof, there was a chicken. And she gave it a little push, and it flapped its wings and landed on the ground nearby, scratching. And there was a peasant nearby who said, Oh, Amalgamesh, I have been so hungry. Could I take this chicken home with me? My family needs to eat. Of course, said Amalgamesh. And the little child by his side smiled. And Amalgamesh realized he was a great magician. There were a lot of things that he could do. And there were a lot of incredible people in his little village. And he smiled at them 
And the rest of the villagers smiled at him. What are you going to do today, Amalgamesh? Where's your crystal ball, by the way? And Amalgamesh reached into his pocket. And to his amazement, three crystal balls began to hover just before him. One was crystal clear, one was rose-colored, and one was green. And they began to weave and spin together, juggling in front of him. Just like he had seen in his dream, he let go of the child's hand. And slowly with his own hand, he moved those crystal balls toward her and she held out her hands and the balls began to juggle in front of her and she held out her right hand and moved it toward her own clothing and loop, loop, loop. The three crystal balls went into her pocket and as they did, they receded inside. They became tiny. And when she reached her hand inside, it was like holding three little glass marbles. And she looked up at Amalgamesh and smiled. Hi, everyone. We hope you enjoyed the story. This is season two of our podcast, and we're doing it a little differently. Here's how it works. A story comes first so that listeners with little children can access them easily. In just a second, you'll have a chance to listen to part two, where Silka and I give a little background and perspective on the story. Our goal is to inspire you. We love telling stories, but we love it even more when you feel empowered to tell your own. You may find inspiration in the stories. You may find something of value in the discussion. Whatever strikes you, let that be your guide to opening your own voice like a beautiful flower blossoming after a long drink in the summer sun. Hello, Joe. (laughs) Thank you for sharing your story. And uh, it was very inspiring. When I listened to it, I saw the teacher that is teaching grade one through four and this wizard who has this understanding like that teacher about how much work it takes to bring something into true form and how much patience that takes and also this vulnerability to look at oneself and making mistakes in the way the wizard at one point lost his cool with the child you know and so i invite you to look into that crystal ball now and to share with us uh, some of the insights that you have gained by telling this story yeah thank you yeah you know i it's funny because when i when i I told that story, you know, I, I originally, Sukha, I told that story to myself like three years ago. And I think, um, I think I may have mentioned it once or twice, but I don't think I ever fully told it. I maybe told you about it. I remember. 
It's an interesting thing about storytelling. <laughs> and I, w w something I've come to realize in myself is, you know, I tell myself stories all the time. Hmm. All the time. I, I can't believe how much time I, I spend telling myself stories. And now that I'm a teacher and a parent, huh, and I'm even sort of uh, someone people come to uh, about <laughs> to learn about storytelling, I think about it even more. And so times that I'm alone, I'm often looking for stories. That story came to me when I was walking a few years ago. And it was so powerful when I told it to myself that I, I, I actually just never really fully shared it, which was interesting because sometimes that's how the stories go for, for me. That, that when I tell it to completion, I sometimes can't tell it again. I find that with the kids and I felt like that story just sat with me and actually I never I never told it to the kids I never told that story almost as surprised at but it it recently came up for me again after kind of laying dormant in me for a while and the truth is I I, I didn't intend that story to be so personal <laughs> But now that I listen to it again, I recognize a little bit of the absurdity in that because, of course, it's so deeply personal. And the essence that I really wanted to share in that story was just this feeling of how it, this can come about in so many different ways, but of working toward something that you really put your time and energy into and that you really, really want. And somehow, in the midst of that process, you recognize the flaw in it. And how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that? Because, because I, I recognize that in my own life all the time. Mm -hmm. I want to do something. And so I set out doing it. And it's not, it's not until I get halfway or three quarters of the way through that I realize, oh, I did this wrong. <laughs> or I want to change something about this. If I had done this, it would be better now. Um, that kind of thing. And sometimes that's informative, but sometimes it's extremely frustrating. Hmm. And then that becomes the lesson itself. How am I dealing with this real situation in this moment? And I don't even necessarily want to provide answers. I think that's something a good story does for us. It doesn't necessarily give us an answer. It's not, this is what you do. It just allows the exploration of the question. And I, I, of course, I have to end the story one way or another. And I usually want the story to end at least reasonably positively, both for myself and for the kids. But what's interesting to me is really just the exploration. What do you do when you work and you work and you work at something? That, that could be the kids working on a project. That could be parents working you know, in whatever profession you are. It could be this experience or this way of being that you want to help your child have. And so you work and you work at it, and then you recognize how it's flawed. How do you deal with that in that moment? Hmm. One thing that stood out to me was that the wizard had this skill of like snapping his finger and getting that chicken to appear. And 
I thought like, hmm, he continuously in striving to gain uh, a new power, he actually tapped into his old power and actually what he already had, he used as payment uh, for the stonemason who helped him. And also the humility in that, that he went to the stonemason, this craftsman who didn't have the magic powers. And yet he had this hands-on knowing. And that was really beautiful that bringing it back to this very, from this very magical realm to the very earthly realm of actually really having to do the work even he was a wizard, he had to actually do this hands-on work. And, uh, and, and then he paid in, in food in, by letting mm -hmm. these chickens come. And then even in the way that the stone mason was tuned into the chickens and how he hatched at one point little chicks, that there was always a continuation of life, of... Um, it, there was not a stagnation and that was very beautiful and even with the child that came and was present and the child actually helped the wizard to come to his vulnerability it actually unlocked that and I think for us as teachers this is oftentimes what happens the children are actually the ones that can lead us to this place of yeah, understanding our vulnerability. And then we have to find that way back to the child and call the child out and say, yeah, you know. And then in the way, in the end, how the child had the three glass marbles. So this inner connection that also happens between the teacher and the child, it just was very beautiful and very touching how that how you brought that to a close in the story. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot, a lot of pieces there, but I think what what strikes me, it's so funny because, I mean, again, I sometimes I tell a story, I don't know what I'm telling. I don't, I don't even know the issues that, that I am speaking to so directly. And yet in listening to it and, and, in, and in you and I talking about it now, I can, I can see a, even more richness than maybe I even was aware of um, sometimes in the, in the telling or in the idea of it. You know, originally, like I said, several years ago when I told, I think it was funnier. <laughs> the first, when I first told it, the chicken was kind of a funny element. It was funny. And I, I just didn't bring that out in this telling. And so that's okay. But uh, somehow the chicken belonged in there. But what does stand out is this flaw in the crystal is also this flaw, right, in the magician. And I think that as a teacher and as a parent, boy, have you ever had that experience? I've certainly had it where I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to, and, and I get frustrated. And then I, I have this boiling up moment where internally I want to take my frustration out on the children because they're not learning enough. They're not sitting quietly enough. They're keep interrupting me, right? Whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then I'm kind of tolerating, tolerating, tolerating until I get to this boiling up moment. And then I'm like, I'm angry. 
And I want to, and now I'm going to speak to you in a sharp voice, right? <laughs> and, we, and, or even if I, even if I don't do it, uh, in real life, but I can internally, I feel that. And I'm like, would you just, oh. it's like, it's like that moment where I'm, I'm trying to build this lesson. I'm trying to create this experience. I'm trying to do something. And then I see the flaw and the flaw is that is my own frustration is my own anger in it. And yet sometimes the recognition of that flaw can, it can be an opportunity to just notice, you know, like, why am I being so sensitive here? What is, what am, what am I valuing here? Why am I getting so irritated about this disruption? And if I, if I, if it's like, if I can pay attention to my flaw, if I can pay attention to that irritation and then come back to a space of kind of compassion, mutual holding, holding myself, holding the children and say, wait a minute, what just happened? Why did I get so upset? Isn't that interesting? What is it that's creating that upset feeling? Talk about a lesson. If I can, if I can hold that now, a lot of times I can't, you know, <laughs> but if I can actually hold that in that moment, I feel like that's, those are like, that's like a dream to be able to recognize that mm-hmm. and, and actually acknowledge it with the kids mm-hmm. and myself and say, Hey guys, look, I actually got really frustrated. I got really frustrated. Mm-hmm. And that's just the honest truth. And I think now that I look at it, th- this is why. I think it's because of this, this, and this. You know, and what was that like for you? How did, how did that feel? I mean, to me, that's like, wow, I'm more interested in that in the realm of education than I am in multiplication tables. That's just the honest truth for me. <laughs> well, there is this uh, teaching authenticity and uh, looking up at, the teacher who is standing in this place of authority, but not as authority that fakes authenticity, but being authentic and being like, I have feelings, yes, and they can arise and, you know, um, but it's, um, you know, it's beautiful. Thank you for sharing and thank you for sharing with us that this story has lived with you because it shows you also that a story itself can ripen within ourselves. Mm. It can be ripening to that point until it can be harvested like the apple. And, you know, and in, in this eating and digesting and then sharing it there is something, it's like with the story, you ask us to come to your feast table. Mm. And so thank you for holding it and letting it ripen to that point that you can share it with us that means so much and i hope that it can be also an inspiration for our listeners that they pay attention to what what story lives internally in your own being that keeps surfacing and you have not yet found quite the voice to it but it keeps coming back and is it perhaps a part within your being that is working on that story and the story unfolds in that how you change and how you're becoming how you're growing are you sending your own crystal internally right now until 
um, there is a clear picture that you can share. So I invite you to feel into that and um, yeah, and become present to that story within your own being. Yeah, that that's exactly right. I th- I think that's the bigger picture for me as well is that um, having somebody in your life that you can share stories with. Um, it's so precious because you it gives you this opportunity to listen to yourself, to notice your own values. And for a lot of us, that's our children. It's also really beautiful. Like Soka, you and I get to share our stories together a lot. It's such a gift, right? Because I get to I get to hear your stories and I get to see you. I get to see this aspect of you that maybe doesn't come out in your direct communication. Yeah. And I get to I get I get that same experience within myself and so I really invite anyone who's listening to this to uh it's hard. You know, it's just honestly hard. But if you can find somebody in your life that you can actually give voice to some of these stories that are inside of you. It's precious. Yeah, it's very precious. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Soka. And it's this building, uh, you know, relationship. Relationship is, uh, it's like stories are just such a nourishment. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Thanks for listening to How to Tell Stories to Children, a bi-weekly podcast from the authors of How to Tell Stories to Children, now in 19 languages. Our goal is to help parents, teachers, and grandparents connect heart-to-heart with kids. You can find this podcast as well as upcoming webinars, events, our blog, stories, and more at howtotellstoriestochildren.com and on our Facebook page. You will also find the entirety of season one, which gives more background and perspective on a variety of storytelling topics. You can also submit questions and ideas. We like to hear from you. If you value this podcast, we invite you to consider making a contribution to keep it alive. The proliferation of free podcasts, articles, and resources on the web makes it easy to forget that real people are behind the work. It means a lot to us when you take the time to rate and review our book, this podcast, or share it with a friend. And if you're able, your financial gifts at patreon.com slash how to tell stories to children make it possible for us to continue calling out the storytelling voice in other parents, teachers, and grandparents. Together, we can spread the intimacy and joy of storytelling one family at a time. 